you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, this is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, friends. We certainly appreciate you being part of the Chris Voss Show family. The family loves you, but doesn't judge you. At least not as harshly as your mother-in-law. Anyway, guys, uh, welcome to the big show. We have a returning guest. Chris Whipple will be on the show with us today. We'll be talking about the uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, I should say, uh, White House and everything that's going on with it over the last two years. He's gotten some unprecedented access to it, so we'll be dealing with that. In the meantime, refer to the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Go to youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn group, uh, LinkedIn newsletter, all that stuff we do over there. We certainly appreciate it. He is the author of the latest and newest, hottest book to hit these shelves this year in 2023. January 17th, 2023, it just barely came out. The Fight of His Life Inside Joe Biden's White House by Chris Whipple is with us today to talk about in depth all of the cool stuff that went in there. Chris Whipple is an author, documentary filmmaker, and speaker. He has been called an indispensable observer of American power. A former producer for 60 Minutes uh, CBS News, he is the author of the upcoming highly anticipated book uh, that we just mentioned before. Uh, he is uh, the author of the critically acclaimed New York best. New York Times bestseller, The Gatekeepers, How the White House Chiefs of Staff Define Every Presidency, and The Spy Masters, he was on our show for, How the CIA Directors Shape History in the Future. Peter Baker, Chief White House Correspondent of The New York Times, calls him a premier journalist and historian of the White House, as well as the intelligence community. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am awesome. That is uh, quite the amazing resume you've got there. Uh, give us your dot coms or wherever you want people to find you on those interwebs in the sky. So chriswhipple.net. That's chriswhipple.net is the place to go if you want to find a link to the to buy the book. Um, it, by, by the way, no longer upcoming, actually out. It's been out since uh, January 17th. There but, you go. Uh, at chriswhipple.net, you can, you can find that. You can find... Uh, reviews you can find an excerpt and as well as uh, most of uh, most of my television appearances i gotta update it but you'll find a lot of stuff there there you go uh so what made you uh, what motivated you want to write this book well you know how could i not want to tell the story of this presidency uh sure. you know if you when you consider that joe biden came into office facing the most uh, daunting uh array of challenges since FDR's day uh, with a once-in-a-century pandemic, a crippled economy, uh, uh, the aftermath of a, of a bloody attempted resurrection, uh, insurrection, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, how could anybody with a political or storytelling bone in his body not want to tell that story, if, especially if you could, if you could get uh, access to his inner circle, which I, fortunately I, I was able to do. And I see it as a political thriller in three acts. I mean, the first act oh, wow. is this unbelievable uh, transition that was 
came much closer to not happening than anybody realizes, and I have untold stories about that. Wow. The second act is the uh, first year of the Biden presidency, which was really dominated by the the uh, botched withdrawal from Afghanistan and the slide in Biden's approval rating. And then the third year, when uh, Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine and Biden rose to met that moment um, and uh, rallied NATO to face down Putin, then it was followed by a, a lot of legislative successes. Uh, and then, of course, the midterms when he and the Democrats defied the odds. Uh, and uh, so, look, it's a polit- I think it's a political thriller with no ending yet. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And, and and it sounds like you got enough uh, content to pack into the book. What sort of access do you, did you get to uh, be able to delve into all this? So I spent two years talking to almost every member of Joe Biden's inner circle. Um, it wasn't easy because this is the most uh, battened down, disciplined, leak proof uh, White Houses in in modern times. I mean, wow. the bar was pretty low with Trump's White House. Let's face it, all hell Wait. was breaking loose all the time. Was there anything that didn't leak in that White House? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But <laughs> but this White House is a very different story, which makes it all the more satisfying to have been able to get in there, mm-hmm. talk talk to all these guys and women, uh, and to find out that there was a lot more drama going on behind closed doors than anybody realized from, uh, again, from the, the transition, which is a wild story, uh, really untold uh, until now, and to the, uh, to the present day. Do you, do, you feel like, do you feel like he was the man for the moment and maybe voters saw that? They're like, we've really strayed far from, you know, I, I used to enjoy the days where I didn't have to think about what my president was doing, like, you know, Obama and and, and other presidents. You know, you weren't really concerned. But, like, mm-hmm. with, with Trump, you would wake up in the morning, I think most people in the nation would, especially journalists, and go, holy, you know, what bottom, uh, new bottom have we hit? What new crisis is, is this? And, and uh, it's just, I was joking. I can't remember who I was joking with, a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, uh, uh, won't come to me, but I was joking with her on Facebook. I said, I said, you know, there's a, the problem with the Joe Biden administration is, uh, I'm not getting enough authors on the show that write books about all the corruption. And there's not enough, there's not any corruption or enough corruption going on with it too. Uh, and with Trump, there was plenty of, and we had so many authors on the show writing books. It was wonderful for the show. And I go, we, we need to have politicians that have more corruption just for my show, but that's a joke. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> Biden was, look, uh, Biden might not have been the man for any other moment. Yeah. You know, let's face it, he he ran two presidential campaigns and never got close. Yeah. You know, in 1988, he was, uh, he he had to bail out over that. You remember that he was accused of plagiarizing a, oh, yeah. a, a speech college by a British uh, politician. And then, uh, you know, he, he got, he got hit, whooped by uh, Barack Obama. And so, his moment arrived and it, yeah, it arrived in the form of this guy who was trying to overthrow a free and fair election mm-hmm. and who had driven us all completely mad for four years. And, and there, and there was Joe. Yeah. So, so he, he was the man for that moment. Mm-hmm. Hi folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching 
speaking and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Now back to the show. It almost kind of seemed like voters and everybody else had been just ground down after four years of madness and we're just like, we just want to go back to normal. We want the guy who doesn't isn't broadcasting his crap all the time, who isn't a drama queen. We just we, we just would like a FDR again or something like that. And it, it seemed like, you know, there was a lot of great people that were on the dais uh, for running for president, but it just seemed like we just, we're just like, we really just need like an old school politician again. Yeah, but, you know, now we're getting a little bit of drama. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the form of the uh, classified documents. Uh, yeah. But, but you, but remember that uh, rewind to the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, there are a lot of dramatic stories in this book that uh, you know you may look at this presidency and think, okay, it's a, you know it's a duck gliding across a pond. Looks pretty smooth on the outside. Underneath, there's furious paddling going on and 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 uh, competition and and that was certainly the case uh, in the. Uh, during the transition, uh, mm-hmm. one of the stories I tell is that is how you know, we all think we've read that story when we know it, right? Mm-hmm. The oceans of ink have been spilled about it, and yet I found this unbelievable story about a, a an obscure Trump staffer in the West Wing uh, who carried out this sub rosa operation under Trump's nose and without his knowledge, wow! he kept the wheels of the transition turning. And he had a, you know, the, he was one of the few sane people in the White House at that point. Uh, it, somebody described it, it as like the eye of Sauron. As long as you stayed out of the Oval Office and Trump didn't see you doing it, you could get away with it. And he, and he did. I mean, his name was Chris Liddell. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who was born in New Zealand, came over here, became successful in business, wound up in the Trump White House. And uh, he was there uh, making sure that the peaceful transfer of power took place. Um, wow. So, I mean, and there are a lot of great stories like that. And this is a tease out in the first act part of the book that you talked about? That's right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was talking about how it's a three-act drama. That's mm-hmm. That's the first act. There you go. I mean, it, it was kind of extraordinary watching it. You know, I had the same feeling, you know, I've been saying for four years he wasn't going to leave the White House and saw most of the movements as, as, uh, that Trump was making as, as a way to stay and seize power. And, you know, you saw him resistance to the transition. You saw him, uh, you know, doing everything he could to spread, uh, the lie and everything else. And, you know, I mean, General Tilly was a general, General Milley. I mean, so like the, yeah inauguration he said he said that you know, we landed the plane you know it's a, it's a miracle kind of half a miracle or something i don't have his exact quote there right but uh uh he knew how dangerous it was and some of the conversation reporting we had uh that they came out from people so uh, talk to us about that it, it's so they, they this guy is keeping their transition moving because they 
they were kind of stalwarting everything and going, you know, we're not really, you know, we're unless they accept the transition happening, then they're accepting that the votes were fine, right? Yeah, well, remember, so if you think back to this period, this was that uh, time when there was this Star Wars bar cast of characters in the Oval Office. Which, <laughs> well, you know, from Rudy Giuliani uh, to Sidney Powell, uh, right? An and analogy. They're, and, they're, and they're telling him that uh, Hugo Chavez engineered this uh, – this rigged deal to elect Biden, <laughs> Chavez having been dead for a few years. Anyway, so the people who actually were sane, and there were a few of them, uh, including this guy Chris Liddell, were trying to you know figure out how to land this plane, as you put it, as a number of people put it, including Liddell. Uh, and uh, it was wild because, uh, and, it, and in fact, Mark Meadows, who was the chief of staff that Trump's last chief of staff, I, you know, who, who I called in the Washington Post at one point, I anointed him the worst chief of staff in history uh, because <laughs> he was up to his eyeballs. And <clears throat> even before the, you know, the attempted coup, he was up, he was the worst chief, but, mm-hmm. but he clinched the title when he became the co-conspirator with Trump. Anyway, Meadows was not so much a white house chief as he was a kind of glad handing maitre d. I mean, he would, he wouldn't, he would do anything Trump asked him to do, and he was a yes man to everyone else too. Wow! So anyway, he he said to his deputy Liddell, "Look, uh, yeah, you go ahead and do that. You know, you 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 make sure the transition happens, but just don't tell the boss. You know." And wow. So this it was just complete madness. It was it was just a wild thing going on, and and Liddell almost quit a number of times when Trump did something outrageous. And his friends, including uh, Josh Bolton, who was a former uh, George W. chief of staff and a guy who just wanted to see the plane land, would anyway, this group would, would get on the phone with Liddell and talk him off the ledge and say, Jesus, hey, wow. no, 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 listen, you can't resign because, you know, democracy has to survive here. You know, we got to have a transition. And, mm. and Liddell stayed. Anyway, it's, it's a great story. It's crazy to think that, you know, we saved this, this democracy, this republic experiment with a handful of people that were kind of at the helm. Two people at justice that told the, that attorney that, no, we're not going to send your letter out. No, we're not going to, we're not going to pursue this craziness. Uh, people in Georgia, you know, uh, that stood up and said, no, we're not going to accept the intimidation phone calls. Um, the Arizona uh, legislature, who uh, he testified at the commission, it's interesting to me how just a handful of people, <clears throat> it seems, were the bulwark against against losing everything. Yeah, it's really true. You know, this 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 all comes down to just uh, it. It all sort of depends on a few people of goodwill. You know, yeah. So, so it really kind of hangs by a thread. But as I say, that's just Act One of this this book, and. Mm-hmm. And Act Two and Three are, are, are a hell of a ride too, uh, and we can talk about that. Let's do that. Uh, one thing I wanted to uh, touch on—I uh, don't know what your thoughts are—but I remember watching the Biden when Biden started acting presidential and doing presidential stuff, and kind of not—I don't even know if he's using the seal, but he, he was. There was, you know, how he started doing that staging out in, I think, where he's at in Delaware, where they started having a stage, and he started showing meetings and preparation meetings. Yeah. And I, one of the, one of the, uh, people who do media journalists like yourself, 
I remember, I don't know what show it was, but he made the comment, he goes, what he's doing is he's getting the people prepared that if this thing goes sideways, we're going to have almost like a dual presidency vision, but he's, he's getting them to, to kind of force the transition and saying, you know, here I am, I'm starting to be presidential and we have a transition, which, you know, basically laying the foundation for that, um, which I thought was really interesting because I'm like, this is really scary because they know that this thing may go sideways and there's a reason they're doing this whole setup and they he's were, doing the meeting. You know, they were preparing for almost anything. Um, wow. I, I, among the people I talked to was Bob Bauer, who was the, uh, who's now the president's personal lawyers. He's handling the classified documents mess. But at the time he was the senior counsel on the, on the transition. He had a bunch of lawyers, uh, you know, more than a hundred lawyers, Working this thing, looking at looking at every eventuality, and and they stopped counting at like number seventy. And you know, one of them, one of the unthinkable eventualities was Trump uh, declaring martial law and, and sending troops into the streets. Yeah. And and they spent a lot of time thinking about that, trying to plan for that, to deal with that. Uh, it didn't quite, it didn't happen, but uh, it could have. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, later we come to find out that, you know, SCOTUS could have been compromised if SCOTUS had been called in to decide the election because of, uh, some of the things that are going on there. Let's yeah. tease out the, um, let's tease out the, uh, second act. Let's, uh, let's, uh, dig into that a little bit. Yeah. I think, you know, the second act was, again, the first year of the Biden presidency. Uh, there, there are a lot of great stories I tell, including day, day one when, when Joe Biden walks into the Oval Office for the first time on that afternoon. And uh, he, he's got a small group of staffers, Ron Klain, Jen Psaki, a couple of others <clears throat> there with him. Klain's got a stack full of executive orders for him to sign. And one of them says, but Mr. President, first, uh, there's a letter. And Biden goes, oh. And he walks around, he opens the desk drawer, and he pulls out a letter from Donald Trump. And it's two full pages uh, in, in a small handwriting, uh, and he sits there and he reads it while they look at him. Nobody else had read it. They hadn't even touched it. They saw it in the Resolute Desk. Biden reads and he looks up and he says, that was gracious. He said, shockingly gracious. And they said, uh, do you want to, Saki says, do you want to put out a statement, sir? And he goes, nah. He goes, this is between him and me. Yeah. Uh, now, don't you want to know what's in that letter? I mean, I my, do. <laughs> like my thought is, so I called up Jared Kushner. I got him on mm -hmm. the phone. I said, Jared, uh, tell me about this letter. And he said, well, he said, look, all I can tell you is he's got a lot of levels. And, and I heard him <laughs> chuckle when he said that. And, th and then I said, well, what about it? He said, well, he spent three days writing it. Wow. Um, now, one thing, one question I have is, did Trump in this letter, if it was so gracious, did mm -hmm. he acknowledge that Biden was president? I mean, do you leave a letter for somebody in the resolute desk who is not president? That's who, true. Who you don't think won the election? I mean, that goes to his mindset. And I would think the January 6th committee and, and justice, among others, might want to read that letter. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to have a public, and he's never published it, right? He's never let it out. No, no, no. It's, it's, Biden has it, and you know, it goes into the archives, and uh, someday we'll read it. Yeah. 
the the the, the uh, Trump presidency. I remember Rachel Maddow used to keep track. You remember she used to keep that wall. It became a wall of all the people that were being you know either kicked out of the Trump presidency or quitting. Yeah. And remember how it got so big she had to like change the studio. And you know, it was just like every day there was like it was like it was just a clown car of of people exiting, and uh, I think with the Biden presidency, correct me if I'm wrong, we're just barely seeing one of the first major uh, change-ups. I mean, Jen Psaki left the uh, White House um, to go to MSNBC, but uh, the chief of staff is uh, now leaving uh, just barely. Yeah, and Ron Klain is a major character in my book. Joe Biden is the is the principal character, but. Klain is a comes in a close second. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, he's a really fascinating guy. Um, y- you know, absolutely whip smart. Um, he's I talk to him regularly, and so you you for the last two years, so you can really see this presidency unfolding from the inside, uh, not from Klain's point of view. The books my point of view mm-hmm. and and I'm clear-eyed and and no holds barred on on failures as well as successes but I had this ringside seat with Ron Klain and uh one of the more dramatic moments was uh late October 2021 when I went to see him at the White House Biden was in Europe uh it was one of the really low points of, of his presidency he'd gone you know, he was trying to pass Build Back Better and bipartisan infrastructure, and there was all this ugly sausage-making going on, and nothing was passing. Biden went off to Europe empty-handed. He went to Glasgow to the climate summit without anything to show for, you know, his first, uh, whatever, six months or more. Mm-hmm. I went to see Klain, and, and you know, I said, look, um, you know, is the is this the week that makes or breaks the Biden presidency, because mm-hmm. Biden had just said that his presidency, the fate of his presidency depended on passing these two bills that had not passed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and Klain at that point was bone tired. He was frustrated and he was thinking about quitting. Wow. Uh, and uh, we all know how that turned out. He decided to stay. He, he, and he decided to, Primarily because he wanted to see Biden through the midterms, there you uh, go. and uh, that turned out to be a pretty good decision, right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's interesting how the whole thing's panned out. I, you know, I voted for Biden. Full disclosure, um, and uh, you know, he he. It, it kind of looked to me like in the first year or two, I've lost track now, but I was really like, oh my god, you know, inflation is going to kill him. It's going to destroy his presidency. Uh, he's in this, you know, worst time coming from the COVID and, and the, uh, you know, processing of goods at the ports and everything. And, and here he is, you know, trying to do his best. The build back better fails. Um, you know, lots of finger pointing within the Democratic Party and the thing of maybe the progressives screwed it up and, you know, we reached too far. And then it all kind of comes together, which is kind of interesting. And then all of a sudden he starts smacking balls out of the park. Yeah. So, but again, remember during that first year, it was it was rough because yeah. we had the Afghanistan debacle, yeah, uh, which triggered a slow decline in his, actually pretty quick decline in his approval rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he gets smacked by well, you know, Jake Sullivan's favorite expression, the National Security Advisor, he stole from Mike Tyson 
which is uh, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Yeah. And they got punched right in the mouth yeah. by the Delta variant and then uh, inflation and supply side, supply chain uh, problems. Uh, all of this stuff was going on. And as you as you point out, um, they, they managed to pretty much turn things around. And I personally feel this brings us to Act 3, that the turning point of the Biden presidency was February 24, 2022, when Vladimir Putin invite, invaded Ukraine and Biden rose to meet that moment. Um, we had the intelligence that the U.S. had on that invasion was like the CIA's, one of the CIA's finest moments. They've had plenty of low moments, but this was probably the finest moment since the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. They had Putin absolutely dead to rights. They knew exactly where he, what he was going to do. <clears throat> Biden tried to persuade, you know, the NATO leaders, and nobody was buying it. And I have this great story about uh, Kamala Harris meeting with Volodymyr Zelensky on the eve of the invasion at the Munich, wow. M- Munich Security Conference. She privately meets with Zelensky, and she says, not only are the Russians coming for Ukraine, they're coming for you personally and your wife and your family. Hit squads are coming. And Zelensky was still dubious and skeptical that the Russians were going to invade. He leaves. She turns to an aide and says, I wonder if that's the last time I see him alive. Chilling. That is chilling. Wow. Uh, so, so much to have in this presidency. Let me see if we can squeeze a few more things in. You talk in the book about what he what he thinks about Kamala Harris and their relationship. Uh, do you want to tease out anything? Are we going to see her as a as a, another vice president if he runs again? Or uh, well, you know, it's it's um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, if you so one of the things I my favorite. I don't think this book is necessarily just for political junkies. I think that it's a really human story as well. And it, my f- favorite moments in the book are the so kind of private unguarded moments with Biden, where you, you find out what he really thinks of Kamala Harris, uh, you know, his fraught relationship with the secret service detail, what, mm-hmm. what he really thinks about the press and about the Ivy leaguers in his white house, uh, who kind of looked down on him. And, um, anyway, the, the Kamala relationship is fascinating and complicated because, as I just suggested, he gave her some very important national security assignments. He really had a good rapport with her early on. They were in meetings together all the time, partly because of COVID, partly mm-hmm. because Biden wanted her there. Um, I say COVID because they weren't traveling at that point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, things got more complicated uh, and uh, <clears throat> maybe I'll leave it there and, and not do a spoiler. You got to read the book. You got to order it up. Find out. I'm digging now. I'm going to order the book. Uh, no, it's 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 interesting. You know, I've heard some rumblings from that camp. You probably heard more as a journalist than I have. But you know, there was some reporting that uh, you know she's had staffing problems, issues with her staff, and 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 some conflict there. Um, and so it's kind of been one of those things where you're like, I wonder where this goes. And of course. You know, it, it, the, the Biden presidency, we really need to return to normal. To me, I've, that, to me, that's what it speaks to in his election and also, uh, in the, in the uh, midterms here where people are just like, you know, we're enough of the circus crap. We just, 
just want stuff to go back to normal. Go run the damn country. Leave us the fuck alone. <laughs> let us let us watch our TV. You know, it's that network thing. Let me just watch TV with my radial tires and just uh, you know stay out of the thing. And we also need a politician who return the order, return some some semblance of the message of democracy in order to the world that the world could go. Okay, cool. America's back. You know that sort of thing. Yeah, you know I, I agree with that, but I also think that Biden was. Biden was and is trying to do two things that are contradictory. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the one hand, he he wants to unify the country. <clears throat> and on the other hand, he has to call out MAGA and the lasting power of Trumpism. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the one thing that surprised him more than anything else in his presidency was the staying power of MAGA. He thought it would be in the rear view mirror by now. Wow. He thought... Hey, you know, I won by seven million votes. It's it's a mandate for the normalcy you were just talking about, uh, but it wasn't going away. And so, for a long time, he just talked about when he referred to Trump, he would say the former guy. Remember that? Yeah, say, yeah, yeah, the former guy. Um, by the way, I have, I have some great stories about him taking a friend around the White House residence and pointing out some of the stuff that Trump. <laughs> left behind uh, nice. and saying, saying, can you believe this blanking, you know what? Uh, anyway, um, so Biden, after a while, felt compelled to to call out uh, Trumpism. He gave a hell of a speech on the anniversary of January 6th. I don't know if you remember, people remember yeah. that. It's a hell of a speech. He said, I'm going to stand in this breach. Uh, you know, this is not going to happen again. And um, so, and and of course, the key to success in the midterms, when all of those crazy Republicans ran, uh, many of them endorsed by Trump, and the, and the Democrats defied the odds, the key was uh, talking not about inflation that every all the pundits said he should be talking about, uh, which is obviously a really serious problem he's got to deal with. But the key to to the midterms was to talk about women's reproductive rights because mm-hmm. they were pissed off at the Supreme Court and about Trumpism. So yeah. he did. And he had pretty good results. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to me. In fact I was I was watching the approaching midterms and I was thinking, my God, we're gonna lose this wholesale and then the leak happened with SCOTUS about uh, the abortion uh, versus way being turned over. And I, I said to his friends I was talking to at the time, I said, you know what? I almost think like we're just going to get killed in midterms as Democrats if maybe, maybe that's what needs to happen. They need, they need to overturn Roe versus Wade and that'll get everyone fired because no one wanted to vote. Like people are just totally like uh, we just burn out on politics we don't care anymore and then uh and then it happened and it's almost like i don't know it's almost like one of those faithful stroke of whatever things you have to wonder what the midterms would have been and the next two years of his presidency would have been uh without the scotus uh, overturning it yeah joe biden likes to say that he's a great believer in fate um and so maybe this was fate you know playing a role Mm -hmm. Uh, nobody saw that coming, but it fired up the Democratic base uh, and more. It fired yeah. up, you know, independents and women. And then, you know, the the clown car of, of Republican 
crazies that ran for, you know, the people said, I mean, Mike Barnacle said on Morning Joe, um, you know, normal beat crazy. <laughs> yeah, I like I, that analogy. That's what happened. Normal beat crazy. Yeah, and, and I think that's, I think we all wanted that. I think even uh, many Republicans that crossed over, they're like, we just really would like to get back to normal. Um, so you document all these things in the book. You talk about Afghanistan. You get Af- Afghanistan. That was quite the kerfuffle. Uh, quite the kerfuffle. That's kind of a, a misappropriate word to put towards it. But that was quite the crisis uh, to, uh, to have him endure. Yeah, it really was. And, and you know, Biden really felt let down by his briefers and by the intelligence. Um, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, told me that in no uncertain terms, look, everything we did was based on this flawed intelligence mm-hmm. that said the Afghan government would last for 18 months. So I, I, I went over and visited uh, Bill Burns, the CIA director. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to have access to him as well. You know, he liked my book, The Spy Masters, about the yeah. CIA directors. Sat down with him. This was news to him. He said, no, wait a minute. He said, we were clear-eyed about the fragility of the Afghan government and armed forces, and we said that if you pulled out two legs of the stool, the U.S. military and the American contractors that, who kept the Afghan armed forces planes in the air and trucks on the road, that the whole thing could collapse really quickly. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, what happened, and I lay this all out in the book, I mean, I call it a whole of government failure because everybody got almost everything wrong, mm-hmm. uh, including the U.S. military just not you know, putting way too much faith in their Afghan counterparts. Um, but I think that what happened really was a result of they thought they had more time than they did to get everybody out safely. It was based yeah. on based on BS. Uh, it, it was that was just wrong. And so they they Milley, General Milley, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and Lloyd Austin basically tried to pull it off with a cap a, a cap of seven hundred American troops. Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough, you know. No. And the result we all saw on our television screens. But there was drama behind door, closed doors over all of this, as you can imagine. I'm sure. Do you document anything, uh, or did you get any data on what the – I know the CIA went over there, the director went over there and met with them, I think shortly yeah. after or during, which was extraordinary. I'm like, yeah. wait, we're meeting with the Taliban? <laughs> he was over there. You know, Bill Burns is a great character in the book. This is a guy who, uh, you know, is maybe the most most uh, most influential, accomplished diplomat of the late 20th century, 21st century. Um, and he's a guy who, who does not only runs the CIA, but, but he's Biden's go-to guy when he's got a really big problem and sends him out to negotiate. So he went to see the Taliban. And I tell a story that never, never reported before, um, that, uh, there was a big problem big fight between uh, the CIA and the Department of Defense in the midst of the evacuation. A DOD is, uh, the Defense Department is, um, you know, filling these planes with, and trying to get people out um, at, at, at this extraordinary pace. And, uh, 
And they noticed that every time they filled a plane, there were like 100 more people that shouldn't have been there on the tarmac ready to go. Turns out the CIA, without telling Department of Defense, were bringing people from their secret base and dumping them on the tarmac, and they were oh, climbing wow. into the planes too. Wow. And uh, Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, was furious, went over to the White House and, and you know, yelling about this. And Anyway, so it's, it's, it's a great behind-the-scenes CIA Defense Department dust up. Would you would you compare it to the Bay of Pigs uh, deception that that John F. Kennedy felt because he he'd been deceived about well, everything? Well, one, one of the stories one of the stories I tell is that you know while this was happening, I was talking to Leon Panetta. Um, you know, I I know Leon as a result of uh, my book previous books. He was White House Chief of Staff. He was CIA Director. I've got to know him over the years. And I was on the phone with Leon and, and he said, look, uh, watching that evacuation, he said, it was just like watching January 6th. And like, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. And Panetta went on CNN and he called it uh, Joe Biden's Bay of Pigs. Wow. Well, this didn't sit too well with, <laughs> <laughs> no, with Joe Biden or Ron Klain, the Chief of Staff. Biden's chief of staff. So the next time I was with Klain, I asked him about Panetta, and he said, look, uh, Joe Biden didn't spend $2 trillion training these guys to defend their country. Joe Biden wasn't for the war. Leon Panetta was for the war. If this was, if this was Joe Biden's Bay of Pigs, it was Leon's army that lost the battle. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, you know, you, you, you get so much of the, what you hear from the White House scripted. Uh, I think in my book, you get you get to know what they're actually thinking. And I love it. You get the deep inside stuff. Let me ask you this. I get, you know, President Biden gets a lot of crap for being old. And, and sometimes, you know, he's not sharp on his communication either. Am I? I'm 55. So, you know, he's. He's doing better than I, and he can fall off a bike, and I can't, I can't even ride a bike. I don't think anymore, <laughs> but uh, and survive actually. Uh, but you know, and he has the lisp that's a part of his, uh, you know, his whole life. So there's a little bit of that, and, and he's he's a careful politician. He's a he's a very seasoned politician, and so some people see when he wait a, talks, wait a minute, did you just call Joe Biden careful? Is he careful? Well, that's true. He's made a lot of gas, yeah, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah. He's famous for going. It off seems track. like he's gotten better in the presidency. Am I wrong? Yeah, he or? Has, he has. Seems like he's gotten a little bit better. In the old days, you know, he was like, you know, Mister Jokester. But it, so does it, it? Almost. I was watching the other day, and I, I've got a couple friends that get in my ear, and they're like, you know, he's an old guy. He's losing it. And I'm like, did you see the guy prior um, that you voted for? Uh, but it almost seems to me like Joe is way more smarter in private than he is in when he's doing those things. Yeah, he may have a couple gaffes and he may say things wrong. And, and sometimes I almost see like he's almost, it feels like he's working a little bit hard to get it right and not make gaffes and, and maybe not just come across as a, as the prior guy. It almost seems like he's, he's crazy like a fox almost. I don't know. What, yeah, what do you well, think about that idea of mine? Well, it, yeah, I think um, one of the really fascinating things um I think in, in the book is this uh, Ron Klain did a Zoom call with all the former White House chiefs, 19 of them, the living chiefs, former chiefs, got on the phone with Ron before he took office. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they, they came to give Ron advice. And 
believe it or not, LBJ's last White House chief was on this call, 82 years old. Well. His name is Jim Jones. I don't know about you. You're, you're too young to remember LBJ, but I was a kid, and I remember thinking that LBJ was about 90 years old. He was 60. <laughs> he was 60 when he left the White House. But anyway, wow. LBJ's chief says to, says to Klain, look, you've got to take care of this guy and make sure he gets some rest. I look at him, and, and he looks like me. I, I, I trip every time I go up the stairs. Uh, you know, I'm 82. I recognize this. I, I can see when he when he can't find a word and when he's struggling and all that. Um, so make sure he gets his naps and all this stuff. I think Biden. He's. I think. He, look, he's an 80 year old guy. He walks. Yeah. He walks like an 80, like a zombie, like an 80 year old guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by all accounts, he's. You know, he he's he's fine mentally. He's sharp. Um, and he's got plenty of energy. Bruce Reed, his deputy chief of staff, told me a story about how they were in Europe, <clears throat> and um, they'd gone through four summits back to back to back to back, exhausted. They dragged themselves on Air Force One, slumped into their seats, and to get, tried to get some, go to sleep. Uh, everybody was wiped out except the boss, the boss comes into the senior aide's cabin, and he sits down, and he starts telling stories. And six hours later, as they land in D.C., he's still telling stories, and they're prying their eyelids open, trying to be polite. <laughs> but he had plenty. He had energy to spare. So, yeah, I mean, they, uh, people give off the presence that, that when he's not in front of cameras, they're, he's sitting in a back room of the White House and they're feeding him pudding or something. He's drilling <laughs> down the side of his mouth. I mean, that's just some of the Republican stuff that I get yeah. from my Republican <clears throat> friends. But I, you know, I was watching uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, this guy's way smarter behind the scenes. Like this guy's a he's a seasoned politician and he's sharp as attack. I'm sure behind the scenes, and 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 I I started going. You know, he really is crazy like a fox. You know, you see times where what was the time where he said something really rude or he swore about I think it was Trump or something. He called out he called somebody or he, it was the reporter from Fox News, and he goes, you know, what a stupid breath, <laughs> and it's on a hot mic, and he right. knew it. Like people were like, oh, he's doing dumb gaffes. I'm like. I don't know. I think he knew that dart. I think he threw that dart on purpose. Yeah, how about his line in Warsaw when he gave that speech about Putin and he said this he said for God's sake this man cannot remain in power, right? Yeah. <clears throat> that was ad-libbed. Uh that was not in the speech. Yeah. I was talking to Ron Plain, Ron Klain 15 minutes after that speech and he goes, "Chris, uh the president ad-libbed it." Yeah. It was totally yeah, but he knew what he was doing. And that line is, you know, they the White House ran around with its hair on fire trying to say, well, no, that's not what he meant. That's exactly what he meant. And he came out yeah. and said it, too. No, I meant it. Yeah, yeah. I and, and it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to go down with, you know, in, in with Ronald Reagan's Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. It yeah. was a, a moment of authenticity by Biden. Mm-hmm. But he planned it and he delivered it. I've got a hard out for you here in about uh, two and a half minutes. Uh, just really quickly, what do you think of the next two years are going to be like? Is it going to be a circus show or is it going to be, uh, I don't know, what's your thoughts? It's going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a really wild ride, I think. Um, I don't think Donald Trump is, he's, he's weakened. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's but he's still there, and mm-hmm. I think anybody who thinks that he is a fading <clears throat> guy who's who's going to shuffle off into the twilight is kidding themselves. This is a guy who will do anything to if DeSantis tries to go for the nomination. I think Trump will do whatever he has to do to take him down. Uh, Biden and his team are are planning to run against Trump. They think democracy is still on the ballot in 2024. Anything could happen to Biden at his age. Uh, the, the you've got the documents thing out there. Uh, you've got um, and and just a lot of big big challenges, including uh, avoiding a recession and keeping NATO unified. Uh, it's going to be a wild fourth act, and yeah. uh, I'll be out there talking about it and uh, trying to sell a few books. There you go. And you'll probably have the next book going with the classified documents and all the stuff that's not coming out. Sure. So that's going to be interesting how that all comes together. Well, Chris, it's been always wonderful to have you on the show. You bring such wonderful insight in, into politics and everything you uh, have you access to. Uh, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. So uh, the way the, the place to find it is at chriswhipple.net. Again, that's chriswhipple.net. You can find a lot of information about the book, a uh, couple of early reviews that we've had even better reviews since. Uh, you can find uh, uh, links and uh, and some of my television stuff, and uh, I hope people will check it out. I hope they will, too. I will be checking it out because I've, I've been interested in what's gone on with this uh White House. I've been, you know, because it's been it's been pretty quiet. I mean, it's been they they kept the they kept lit on. I'm kind of a little disappointed though because you know we got a lot more great books and authors that came on the show uh, during Trump's presidency. In fact, it never seemed like it was going to end. <laughs> All the books that were written about it. Anyway, thank you very much, Chris, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. There you go. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Go to youtube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, and our big LinkedIn groups. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. That should have a 